Welcome to Podopticon. I'm Randall Hendrickson. In this episode, we talk about two things, constitutionalism and the Republican Party, a party whose behavior I'm not alone in finding absurd, stumbly-bumbly, nihilistic, cowardly, and other things I'd say if my thesaurus were closer. We recorded as it was beginning to be reported just how many Republicans were signing on to the Texas effort to overturn millions of Americans' votes in the presidential election. Now, until a minute ago, Republicans were into the Constitution, claiming all sorts of faith in the thing. But that turned out to be a bit of performative religiosity. And as such, it was hollow, easy to toss aside. So they did toss it aside. And it makes you wonder whether this constitution they claim to love is worth venerating after all. My guests think it is. George Thomas and Ben Clarnerman are trying to recapture a kind of constitutionalism that goes back to the American founding in some ways. They don't make that turn worshipfully, so they can be engaged reasonably. The story my guests are trying to tell, if I can put it that way, is of a constitution that's not simply or only what is written. They want to rescue the constitution from the lawyers by noting and dwelling on the extra-constitutional, on the extra-legal things, too. In other words, not just the letter of the law. There's a way a people constitutes itself politically, for instance. There's a certain understanding that flows from that, or certain norms. And one such norm is faith in free and fair elections, and the peaceful transfer of power. And here enters the Republican Party that constitutionalists like Thomas and Kleinerman find themselves up against. It's a party that's ready to attack that fundamental norm of faith in free and fair elections. From the top down, Trump to toadies, the bogus and repeated assertions of electoral fraud erode what my guests would call something like a constitutional order. But in the wake of Trumpism, there are a few questions I have for this position of theirs. One especially, and I raised it in the episode, is what aspects of the founding constitutionalism should we reconsider? I can think of a few possibilities, like the separation of powers. How has that worked out? The Madisonian vision of Congress. When's the last time we saw that? There's the Electoral College, which becomes all the time more difficult to defend, especially as some off-limits feature of an original constitution, uh, and so on. But anyway, let me uh, introduce the guests and get to the episode. Both are academics, uh, but Kleinerman's going a bit more pop lately with a site called The Constitutionalist. Thomas contributes to that site and has written books on Madison and the founding vision of higher education. Kleinerman has written widely on presidential politics, especially presidential prerogative. Go to this episode's page at Podopticon to find links to some of their relevant works. As to their day jobs, George Thomas is the Wolford Professor of American Institutions at Claremont McKenna College, and Ben Kleinerman is the R.W. Morrison Chair of Political Science at Baylor University. So without further ado, let's welcome them. George, Ben, welcome to Podopticon. Thanks, Randall. It's great to be here. Thanks, Randall. Great to be here. Great to, to join you. 
Um, so it's 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 great to have both of you here. Um, I I thought I could put a question to both of you, even though I really have George here to um, uh, to to in a way dig into a, a question about the Republican Party, which he's um, had in his crosshairs very recently, in a blog that Ben Kleierman runs, and so uh, we have them both here. But I want to know what is constitutionalism because you run a blog, Ben, called Constitutionalist. And uh, what's that? I've decided to, de- to define it this way. That is that lawyers tend to have ex- claim exclusive control of the Constitution and its meaning and tend to think about it mostly in terms of legal interpretation and legal meaning. And I think that's a misguided way of a misguided way of thinking of solely thinking about the Constitution, that the Constitution is as much about norms and behaviors and culture and shaping those things as it is about legal procedures. So, so you mean um, the legal uh, view is too narrow and so too narrow. Sounds like yeah. you harken back to an, an older view that, that includes um, extra legal things. That's interesting. I want you to uh, be able to unpack that, but um, I also want not to leave George dangling there. George, um, what, what is it? What is a constitutionalist? When you think about um, what's a constitution, right? I mean, th- this probably hits, I think, more what you were getting at too, Randall. It's it's really, um, I mean, small c constitution really, you know, ways of um, governing yourself and constituting political life in America. That's you know, constitution. Um, And constitutional government has become synonymous with a written constitution, which then gets um, boiled down to a written constitution as interpreted by lawyers and judges. And so the hard constitutional labor is all on on kind of the legal end and legalistic understandings of it. And I think, you know, when you think of a constitution, um, we do happen to have a written constitution and that matters for legal reasons. Um, But it still really is, in essence, about how you constitute your political life, which is not just about formal institutions, including legal institutions, but includes um, all kinds of things about political life and citizenship that we don't um, take as seriously. And I guess these elements of um, constitutional life have, have, you know, come under real pressure. And it's really, you know, the last four or five years, I mean, more than that, but the last four or five years, it really highlighted how important um, they are. And in fact, I mean, just think of the, you know, post, uh, you know, election day. I mean, lots of this is, you know, legal uh, in a sense. There are all kinds of norms that we just routinely take for granted as if they are actually part of our political life. And turns out when people start saying, no, I don't really think we have to follow these norms or we're not going to, that really suggests a kind of constitutional erosion. So why don't we... um enter into that what's wrong what the hell is going on with the republican party because i would it would seem that among those civic norms um, among those extra legal things that um george is talking about would be such civic norms as um um, faith and and free and fair elections which is uh you know being uh, robustly sort of undermined right now the republican party in the trump years has been interesting because you know the first part of them that you know they represent kind of in a way a retreat to constitutionalism is is understood really wholly in legal terms, right? I mean, if you think of the deal a lot of them made, knowing that you're talking about a president who not only doesn't really know about the constitution, but doesn't care about it um, in any meaningful Mm -hmm. 
sense, but they were like, but look, we're going to get judges, right? The judges and Supreme Court justices um, will all be the kinds of conservative things we like. And there was, I think there was an irony to that in that if you go back to um, even, you know, the, the Reagan years, some of the more interesting constitutional debates that first occurred around, you know, original meaning in its modern form also really pointed to the importance of constitutional interpretation and constitutional understandings outside the courts. Um, and, you know, they were really, uh, you know, invigorating what came to be called departmentalism, the idea that uh, constitutional interpretation and constitutional engagement was not just the work of the judiciary. It was the work of presidents, members of Congress, um, state legislators, state representatives, and citizens. You know, so it's kind of you know pervasive and all the way down, and that really invigorates constitutional debate. And you have um, it picked up, you know, across the political spectrum, and it actually makes constitutionalism a much more interesting. Um, discussion. And the law is a serious part of that, but it's really only one part. And then so it's really, you know, there's, you know, kind of real irony in that the Republican Party suddenly says, and and at least some of the intellectuals who are, I think are actually not the tawdry intellectuals, but actually genuine legal scholars started to think this is kind of a good deal, but it's, you know, but Gorsuch is really an interesting defense because it says, okay, so we'll forget about constitutional stuff everywhere else. But it's okay because we get um, courts and lawyers. Yeah, the court becomes so meaningful. I remember when Trump first won, um, oddly enough, the foreign policy crowd were thinking, you know, we're going to get some victories here, too. Um, I think that turned really or translated really into, you know, victories for evangelicals uh, vis-a-vis Israel, Um, you know. But um, yeah, I totally agree with where you, with what you with what you just say there, uh, Ben. You have anything to add to that? Yeah, I was just gonna. I mean, just to reiterate some things George said, it it's very odd that the Republican Party is now the anti-constitutionalist party, yeah. given that for the last um, twenty to thirty years, it was the party of the Constitution over and against the progressive Democrats who supposedly didn't care about the constitution um i that's why i was um so surprised to see the never trumpers being uh, such a lonely little crowd <laughs> you know I, mean? I really thought there would be a, you know a more a sort of a, a stronger sort of wave a defensive wave of constitutionalists um but um no not so much not so- uh, you know i i would give them a nod there for sure in that um you know i i think that that they they actually i mean i think they said yeah w- when it comes to this division and when you you're talking about somebody who really clearly not only doesn't care about the constitution um or you know or or doesn't care about you know a, a whole host of things that come with constitutional government and democratic government um generally he just kind of uh you know you know waves those aside and kind of really clearly from the beginning has no interest and th- a, you know a lot of the never Trumpers really line up and some that, that are kind of very um, much from the legal Academy put themselves quickly in that camp. But I think you also have the kind of more political crowd who they clearly took these things seriously. And, you know, and some of the things that they thought came with it, like not just norms, but, you know, virtues and character um, that at least contributed to constitutional government and, you know, why they were never Trump was, look, you, this is, this is not going to end well. And, you know, you, I think you've got to give it to them at least now that, you know, everything they said about him has really turned out to be absolutely true. And, you know, post 
um, election day, uh, it's, I mean, it's really come home in that way. I mean, yeah. that he's really yeah. willing to just go all right. out um, right. and overturn it. And it's still stunning to me that, you know, forget Trump in some ways. I mean, he's really the root of it all. But you have somebody like Ted Cruz, who he now clearly that is the kind of person who played Mr. Constitutionalism. I mean, this yes. is a guy who wanted to kick John Roberts out um, yes. because he upheld um, the ACA, you know, on grounds that I think you could disagree with, but are reasonable. It's not like, you know, they were entirely made up. And, you know, Roberts was a certain kind of constitutional conservative, a kind of constitutional conservative that was, you know, very rooted in two, three decades worth of um, thinking that was, you know, preached judicial modesty, really cared about um, commitment institutions and the like. You can agree or disagree with that, but I think that Roberts is seriously committed there. But like Ted Cruz wants to get rid of John Roberts, you know, no more John Robertses. And now he's saying, I will argue this shoddy case in Pennsylvania before the Supreme Court have given yes. a chance, which is asking, right, on no constitutional grounds with no proof of evidence to throw out millions of votes and yes. give the thing for Trump. I mean, that's the kind of thing that's totally shocking like that. I mean, I, I mean, I, I think Ted Cruz was kind of awful from the get go, but it's like, good God. I mean, he really buried his soul um, in the last year. Yeah, this has just occurred to me. So I don't it might be a thought that doesn't work itself out, but. In in my exchanges with Trump supporters, they tend to emphasize the extent to which he, quote unquote, hasn't broken any laws. That is that, you know, the legal challenges and stuff are perfectly legal. Whatever he did, did during his presidency, he never, as he claims, violated any real laws. And so the complaints about him are based more in norms than they are in laws. But that's exactly, in a way, the point, that a constitution is supported by more than just laws. It's all also set it, supported by a set of norms. And that the, Absolutely. Trump, the Trump violation, you know, Trump's violation are of constitutional norms. And the never Trumpers, I think, emphasize that in a way that the Trumpers can get away with saying, well, it's just the law. What As law I understand break? it, right. As I understand it, you're perfectly within your legal rights to be a complete ass most of the time. I mean, you really are, um, and and we're seeing that. So that 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 itself is a, is a narrow argument that's that in the end is is really meaningless. No, he's not breaking any laws, but he's destroying um, or or doing what he can to destroy a really important civic norm, which is, uh, you know, this, this faith in our, in our election system, how widely and how quickly, I mean, the Washington post just recently ran a piece where they asked all of the Republicans in the house and Senate, if uh, Joe Biden was in fact the president elect and something like only um, uh, 27 of them said, yes, you know, and, <laughs> like 88%. and they're, they're, yeah, 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 that's right. That's they right. Talk, yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. Well, did, you, did you see this, that Trump, is thinking about having um, a rally alongside the inauguration. That uh, too. That too. Or something. And not attending. This is just a complete destruction of all norms. I know the argument against Trump's fascism is that he's in fact weak. And, um, I, you know, I can buy that in, in some serious ways. But but the power to destroy norms, I think, is probably going to turn out to be a hell of a, a, hell of a thing. I, yeah, I, would, I think the norms is the biggest issue. I think that's I think that's where the focus properly is because uh, they're you know th I mean those are the kinds of things that when you erode 
um, are really troublesome. I mean, just take the two that are sort of most obvious now. I mean, using the power of the state to get a foreign government to uh, manufacture, dig up dirt on um, a political opponent is a huge violation um, of a constitutional norm, a norm that's, you know, shows a commitment to democracy um, in the same way that simply manufacturing um, lies about election fraud is going to undermine any faith in the democratic process, the peaceful transfer of power and all of that. I mean, things we've taken for granted for really two centuries now. Yeah. But I also would I mean, I, I would not back off the law thing as quickly as as Ben does in that he actually did break laws. Uh, I mean, the the you know, when you impound money, um, for instance, in releasing it to the Ukraine, um, mm. yes, there are actually laws there. Now, I mean, you could argue maybe there's some, you know, wiggle room um, with some of them. But this idea that, like, he never broke any law that gets touted out by, um, you know, some of his supporters that suddenly don't care about um, law or have broad interpretations of it and the like. I don't I don't think that that's so easy. I mean, I think the, the more important point is the norm point. But even even think of some of the laws. I mean, he has his um, I can't I should really remember this. If it's National Security Advisor or his Department of Homeland Security Advisor is actually appointed right now in violation of the law. Um, and those laws are seriously like mm-hmm. like when we think of Biden as appointing um maybe a former military leader to Department of Defense, the law says you've got to be out for seven years. Now you can get a waiver against that, but some of Trump's um, uh, acting appointees were not appointed in accord with the law. And so there is a you know dispensing with the, the actual law on the books um, throughout the Trump administration as well, um, even though the norms are, I think, the, are the bigger point. And what, what I don't understand about like Republicans right now is, and, and I one more thing on the law kind of quickly, yeah. the calling up the Secretary of State in Georgia and trying to pressure him oh, to man. do away with votes is a violation of both federal law and state law. Um, it may well be that he's also violated the Voting Rights Act of 1965. I mean, those, you know, trying to dispense with legally cast ballots now, I don't mean in courts of law. That's, you know, when you're contesting them there, that's different. I'm talking about the political pressure brought to bear um, on some of these people from the Michigan canvassing boards um, to the Georgia Secretary of State to the governor of Georgia twice to the governor of Arizona. I mean, if you're trying to get them to actively discard legally cast ballots, that is very likely a violation of both state and federal law. You know, and we shouldn't be dismissive of that. But the but the bigger question is the norms one. And like, so what, what happens next time around? I mean, why? So if it's close election and the Democrat loses, but it's closer than this one in 2024, mm-hmm. why do Republicans think that the Democrat will say, okay, good. You know, we are, we play by the rules. We play by norms. We're going to go along um, with all of this and, you know, engage in a peaceful transfer of power. We're going to play by the rules, even though you guys no longer do. That's, I mean, that's the real question for me down the road. Right. We've now seen the possibility of, of what audacity can get you and how quickly you can abandon previous norms that you thought were rock solid. Um, I still want to stick with constitutionalism and ask what it has to do, because when when one starts to dig into this and, and people who have a what you what what I would call a constitutionalist, uh, a constitutional point of view, um, 
they all have something to do with kind of 18th century political thought, or at least uh, American political thought. So what does is, what is constitutionalism have to do with the founding? I mean, I would say in the first place, I'm just writing something sort of related to this. And in the first place, that is, it's the founders understood that democracy was dangerous or potentially dangerous, that democracy of the past tended to collapse for one way or another, in one way or another, and that the thing that could prevent democracies from collapsing was a kind of constitutionalism. First of all, a constitution, but also a constitutionalism in the, set, in the sense of a set of norms that create a set of processes that make democracies regular and not dangerous in the same. Part of the presumption there in the separation of powers, for instance, would be that some among the, uh, the, the peoples who constituted this or that body um, would be jealous of their power and behave accordingly. Um, not that a, that a Congress would, would kowtow so easily um, in, in such a, a sort of remarkably uh, despotic way. I mean, that's, that's sort of a surprise um, such that maybe you could call it a breakdown of, of founding constitutionalism. Um, I wonder if there are, um, either of you, if there, are there elements of, of founding constitutionalism that you um, in the past four years have found to be, be lacking and in, um, in need of rethinking? Yeah, that's, that's a really, that's a great question. I, I, one small point just on what I think you and Ben captured the, the why founding thoughts um, so important, but it's, it also just suggests that maybe this is good for the constitutionalist part of it, right? That yeah. all these kinds of things that come with for, formal institutions that complement them, that you take for granted is it's amazing. As soon as you start saying like, you know, we're never mind, um, we're not going to yeah. go with them. How quickly the formal institutions don't work. And just that, and, and the one that, um, you know, beyond the Republican Party, but just this idea that you're, you know, you're going to engage in a certain kind of reason discussion, and you're going to generally, you're going to debate, but you're going to generally stick to things that are more or less true, you know, you the mm-hmm. budget, the margins and the like, and disagree, but just this, like, no, I, I like Trump, I won, I won, it, in fact, it was a huge landslide. I won. It's like, you know, Jonathan Rauch, I think, had a, a great line. Once you just engage in like a fire hose of lies, you're really corroding the kind of um, knowledge that is required to keep us going. That, you know, you, you play by a – Randall, you should like that, like be able to say more about this than I am. But like, you know, you have a kind of Tocquevillian sense of rules that you kind of follow and that part of they restrain how you behave and think and debate. And it's like, you know, it's like talking to a crazy relative where it's like, right. gee, it's really hard to talk to them because it's like they're living in this world where it's like you can kind of walk <laughs> through different steps, but they're just like, no, but I don't – you know, th- you can get them to say everything that like, no, two, two plus two, it's got to equal – four and they're like you know no way it's like seven you know yeah. and there's just no shame and you're like how do you deal with that and we're gonna deal i mean that's what we're we're starting to confront that on this huge scale and it's like what will what will happen um over the next you know few months let alone few years is is um i don't yeah. know a distressing yeah, it is. It is. But at least certain studies and shame will be born, I would imagine. <laughs> you know? I think the debate was an illustration. The debates were an illustration of that, too. You know, there's a kind of modicum of decency and respect for the order such that you don't keep talking long after the moderator has said time's up. 
yeah. you know, they always talk a little longer. Yeah. But just you the expect them to abandonment the of, a little bit. Yeah, the complete abandonment of that, and just to say, I'm just going to do whatever the hell I want. That's kind of the beauty of, of uh, the beauty of unwritten norms is that little dance everyone does because it involves breaking rules. You know, it's just a little bit. It's just a little. It's just like everybody. The fire hose is right. Yeah, the fire hose is right. There's a certain audacity at the top, and it's it's continual, like that fire hose, and it's 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 so intense. You know, um, I think that. Where conservatism really fell off is that um, it didn't ask itself what to do with demagogues. And you would think conservatives would have had that in the bag, especially guys who claim to be um, founders lovers, you know, that kind of thing. You would have figured they could have seen a demagogue coming. You would have thought. Actually, I, I have on the whole founding thing, I, have, I do have uh, just two quick thoughts and kind of one to your institutional question, which is really good. Like, where did we? go wrong um, or where has where have things not worked out and and the one clear area that's way before the trump era mm-hmm. and we've known um, for a long time coming up with solutions is much harder but congress has simply really not acted in madisonian fashion you know it's not as you said you know you you'd kind of be jealous of your power you would guard it you would protect it the congresses of the 19th century really did yeah. um, in ways and you have real you know, I mean, the, the level of constitutional debate there is serious. And and it is, for, you know, in moments of the 20th century, when you see um, not just debates about World War II, but Civil Rights Act, Voting Rights Act. But but Congress, um, I mean, even Democrats in the face of Trump, you know, Congress often shirks. It doesn't really want to push um, its power as far as it could. And and it, it really still has kind of the lion's share of power, but it's a matter of will. And it's, I mean, it's interesting that that's, they, you know, their, their self-interest doesn't, doesn't match up. It doesn't and, match up to that. Yeah. And you know, the, I think the one thing that has become true of maybe a lot more conservatives than I would have suspected. Um, I don't think all, but many, it's like their kind of worship of the constitution has turned out. I mean, I guess it's shown you that a kind of, you know, worshipful stance is also a dangerous thing because it's really, um, I mean, it's hollow. Right. I mean, they really don't have a real sense of it. Um, They obviously didn't really care about much of it. I mean, you know, they can call themselves the Federalist or whoever, say they're dedicated to (laughs) political philosophy. But it's like, I mean, they don't take it seriously and they don't know it really well. And the the people, I mean, like some of the Republicans out there, you know, you don't ever change the Constitution. You don't touch it. It's like that's I mean, that's just kind of silly. Um, yes. And not serious, but they don't, when you push, it's like they don't, it's not like there's like this real um, understanding of the constitution or real commitment to um, constitutional values and the like. I mean, there's some of that. I don't want to say there's none, but there's a lot less of it um, yeah. than they pretended to have. Oh, go, go ahead, Ben. Sorry. No, I was just going to say, it turns out most to be a, mostly to be a constitutionalism that rejects Obamacare and some other programs the Democrats support, that the Constitution matters because these Democratic proposals are not constitutional. Any post-New Deal, essentially, Democratic proposal is yeah. unconstitutional, and that's why the Constitution matters. But that's a really hollow understanding. Yeah, about. Another way to put it very cynically, and I think it's exactly what you're saying, is that the Constitution is useful insofar as you can call what your opponent is doing unconstitutional. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, you just move about doing your thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. I think that captures a lot of that's like that's the Ted Cruz. 
<laughs> that is the Ted Cruz approach but, to constitutionalism. Uh, George Thomas, Ben Kleinerman, thanks so much for joining us today. It's been a real blast. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks, as always, for sticking around. Turns out this is the last episode of Podopticon for the next few weeks as we take a winter break around here. Thanks to everyone who's written, listened, subscribed, and donated so far. It's been great good fun. Hope to see you in the new year. Until then.